You know, my wife Benita and I are the proud parents of two daughters. Uh, Grace is 12 and Audrey is 10. Uh, And they're at that point now where if you ask them what a parent's main purpose in life is, they would probably tell you falsely, okay, that it's to embarrass them. That that's my main goal as a parent in life is to embarrass my children. Happens nearly every day. Uh, If we sing in public, for instance, if I were to get up there and actually sing uh, with the band, uh, my daughters would be so embarrassed. And if my wife sings, it's the same thing. If we try to dance, uh, mortifying, just horrifying. And heaven forbid we try to kiss in public. That's just the absolute worst. And so, and since we get a reaction every time we do that, we we tend to do it more, right? And so... um, did you ever play slug bug when you were a kid? You know, you're driving down the road and there's a Volkswagen Beetle and you slug bug, you know, and uh, my wife and I have started a new game. We call it love bug. And so when we're driving down the road, whenever we see a Volkswagen Beetle, uh, one of us will say love bug. And then we, mm, you know, and just, oh no, dad, that's awful. Stop it. You know, it's the worst thing ever for our kids. But whatever my kids may believe, the most important goal of parenting is not embarrassing them. And despite what you may think, The most important goal of parenting is uh, not to be your kid's best friend. It's not to get them into a great school or make sure that they get a great job so they can support you or someday when they put you in a nursing home, it's a nice one and not one of those ones they show in 60 minutes all the time, you know? And so that's going to be the focus of our morning this morning. Like, what is the most important goal of parenting? Because if you have kids... Um, You love your kids, right? I hope you do, at least most of the time. And because you love your kids, we want the best for them. I mean, I think everyone here would like to be able to say that we're doing the right things for our kids, that that we're, if their kids are out of the house, that we've raised them well, and if they're still in the house, we want them to enjoy life and see that they can make a difference in the world and know that we haven't messed them up too much, right? Now, I've got one friend who says all the time, she says, I'm not saving for college, I'm just putting money aside for therapy bills in the future. Yeah, we want to know that we're not screwing our kids up, don't we? I remember when uh, Grace was born, she's 12 now. But when she was born, she was such a cute little baby, and we loved uh, holding her in the hospital. In fact, I remember the nurse coming to us the second day we were in the hospital and said, I went home last night, and I told my daughter that we just had the cutest little baby born in the hospital. And I thought, oh, that's so nice. Even the nurse who sees babies all the time thinks my daughter is cute. And she probably said that to every parent that came through there, but it made me feel good. You know, as a proud dad, I was real excited about that. And so, um, but... uh, then we were in the hospital for a very short 48 hours. Now, while you're in there, um, they can answer every question you have. They've got people that know what to, ha- what to do when they make, the baby makes a sound that you don't recognize, which, if you're a first-time parent, is every sound, by the way. And so you don't know what to do, but there's a nurse right there all the time with you. And then after 48 hours, they hand you this little eight-pound package and say, well, good luck. You're on your own, right? I remember not too long ago, our family bought a new vacuum cleaner, and it came with this. A 36-page, full-color, bilingual instruction manual on how to use it. I mean, and this is just for something that picks up crumbs off your floor. I mean, imagine if this thing doesn't work, uh, the worst thing that happens is you have Pringle crumbs scattered on your carpet, right? But I wish I would have gotten one of these with my child. I mean, this tells me what to do if it starts making noise. It tells me what to do... If a piece falls off and I need to put it back together, it tells me what to do when it stops working. I have no idea what to do with my daughters when they stop working. They didn't give me anything like this. When I left the hospital with my child, it was nothing. So when it comes to parenting, where do we go for help? 
I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we had some direction, some uh, helpful information from somebody who's been there before, you know, from someone who's uh, been where you are and gained some wisdom along the way? In fact, what if we had parenting advice from the wisest man who ever lived? Well, Solomon, a man named Solomon, was the third king of Israel, and many people believe that he was the wisest man who ever lived. Now, you may hear that Solomon had 700 wives and really start to question how wise he actually was, okay? But many people believe Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Now, Solomon uh, wrote much of what we now know as the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is a collection of wisdom that even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard or read something from the Proverbs before. You've probably seen something like this. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You heard that? That's from the book of Proverbs. Or the borrower is slave to the lender. Or pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And so even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard things like that. Well, that all comes from Proverbs. Well, when it comes to parenting, Solomon has some great advice for parents too. It's maybe the most important thing you'll hear in this entire three-week series. And I think you'll find it's true no matter what you believe about God, Christian or non-Christian. But it's also where we get the name for this series. It's from Proverbs 22.6. And this is from the Good News Version. It says this, Teach your children how they should live, and they will remember it all of their life. Now, if you grew up in church and around the King James Bible, you probably remember a verse sounding something like this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's the same verse. Now, here's the good news about words like these and some others that we'll share over the next few weeks. You don't even have to call yourself a Christian to see and discover how rich the Bible is with wisdom and information for parents. I mean, wouldn't we all agree that so much of parenting is about teaching your children, right? It's about leading them in the way they should go, putting them on a path, guiding them through life. God's word is so full of wisdom for parents on how we raise and teach our children to grow up and to be adults. Because let's be honest here, as parents, we're not really raising children, are we? We're raising adults. That's our goal is to teach kids to become adults. But we all need help with that, right? Because if you're a parent or you know someone who wants to be a parent, uh, we all know that parenting's not easy. And I, and I'm sure that you, sometimes feel a little unqualified. Anybody feel unqualified to be a parent sometimes? My, my favorite comedian is Jim Gaffigan, and he says this. He says, um, I sometimes feel unqualified to be a parent. I call those times being awake. <laughs> I get that. Parenting may be the hardest job on earth. We all wonder if we're getting it right or not. And in this three-week series, we're going to take a look at some of the most important things that we got to do as a parent to make sure that we're getting it right. And just to give you a heads up, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about the next two weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about the important roles of moms and dads and how the role you can play and how you can have a significant impact on your children. You are going to get to hear next week from my favorite person ever, literally, um, she is the 12-time Parent of the Year Award winner in my home. Uh, she's still undefeated. Uh, my wife, Benita, is going to join me on stage uh, to talk about parenting. And so, yeah, she, she is the, she's the wisdom in our couple. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to build a home that makes a real difference for you and for your family and for the people living around you. We're going to talk about how you can partner with your children to have an impact on your friends and neighbors and your family, and you can make a real difference. But we're going to start this series talking about what I believe to be the most important goal for every parent and how to raise your children. And I think this one goal will really encourage some of you and encourage the path that you're on. 
But this one goal may also cause some of us to ask some questions about like our priorities that we've established and maybe cause us to reevaluate some things in our life. When you consider this one goal, it may even cause some of you to ask questions about like your own life and the example that you're setting for your children. But before we do that, before we talk any more about it, there are a few things I need to say up front. First of all is this. I'm not an expert in parenting. I don't have this all figured out. Uh, our church has never done a parenting series before, as far as I can remember. And part of the reason is because, like many of you, I feel a little unqualified uh, in my role as a dad. I'm still learning. I don't always get things right. Um, I have doubts and insecurities as a parent, just like you do. I'm not perfect. Uh, second thing is this. My family's not perfect. Uh, my kids aren't perfect. Uh, my wife is close, but uh, so I share a little bit about what's important to our family and the things that we do. I want you to know that we're not your perfect example. I'm going to try to point you towards what Scripture tells us about parenting, but I'm not saying follow me, okay? I'm, I'm now in no way trying to give you that impression. Now, here's another thing. We have three weeks, and so we can only talk about so much, and so I just want to apologize now for the stuff we're not going to get to talk about. So, for instance, we won't talk too much about discipline, even though we believe it's important. Uh, we won't talk much about conflict other than to say that it's going to happen, all right? And so uh, I apologize for those things, but in three weeks, there's only so much we can cover. Lastly, if you're not a parent, um, I know that you, are, uh, you may be inclined to check out for a couple of weeks. That may be your temptation, but don't. Because a couple of reasons. One, you may be a parent someday. I mean, maybe some of you hope to be, and we're going to talk about plenty of things that you can do now to prepare yourself for that day. Uh, second, you might be a grandparent. Or maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or maybe just a neighbor that has some crazy kids that run through your yard every once in a while. Um, sorry about that if they're mine. Uh, but you can try this stuff out on them. I mean, they're guinea pigs for you. You don't have to live with the consequences. So whatever we talk about in here, you can try it on your nieces and nephews or try it on your grandkids and know that you don't have to worry about what's going to happen if it doesn't work, all right? And so you can do that. Plus, everything that we talk about is going to... Uh, be important about what it means to live like Jesus and to follow him and to trust and depend on him. So um, that's some reasons, if you're not a parent, why you might want to stay with us. So we all have goals in mind for our kids, if we have them, right? You've got some hopes and dreams and goals for your kids, and they probably vary depending on the stage of life they're in. And so if you have very young kids, maybe your goal is just to get them to sleep through the night. I mean, if they could just sleep through the night, your life would be so much better, and it would. That's true. Um, Maybe your goal is to teach them how to drink out of a cup instead of a sippy cup or out of a bottle or, or teach them how to walk. You want to get them uh, mobile. Maybe it's to teach them to use the potty. And you can't help but think how much more time you would have as a mom if my kid could just learn to use the potty. And, and there's some truth to that, but let me tell you, as somebody who's been through it twice now, that you don't get nearly as much time by teaching them to potty as you do by teaching them to wipe, <laughs> okay? Because the cleanup process is what takes a long time. Some moms are agreeing with me on that. You want to teach them to be kind, or you want to teach them to share their things, right? You want to teach them their ABCs or how to do well in school. And then as they get older, you set goals and you help maybe their kids make the travel team or that they get an athletic scholarship or that they get to stay in the advanced classes or get to get in the advanced classes. Uh, and then they get even older and we want to see them do well on the SATs or get into that big name college or meet the right person to be their spouse or find the job of their dreams. They're all goals we set. And, and, and some level of each of those is good and it's okay and it can be great motivators. But the real goal, I hope you'll see, is what Solomon laid out. Train a child in the way he should go. 
Teach your children the way they should live. Teach them manners. Teach them how to treat people. Teach them right from wrong. Because the promise here that's contained in this verse is this, that when they're old, they will not depart from it. You know, that teaching comes not through just what you tell your children, but I think we all know that so much of teaching comes through what we model for our children, what we show them as well. I mean, I think almost all of us probably know adults that are in really tough situations right now, and we don't maybe have really bad habits, and we don't have to look very far to see where they came from, right? I mean, it came from their parents. It's such a universal truth. We even have our own proverbs to describe this, right? Like father, like son, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? I chip off the old, right? Everybody expects, it's such a universal truth that everybody expects that we're going to grow up to be like our parents. And so much of what we do today as adults was modeled for us as kids, I mean, check this out. Do you ever look in the mirror and you see yourself do a mannerism or make a move and you think, oh, that looked just like my dad. My dad just did that. Or you see yourself in a shadow or maybe um, you're saying something to your kids, maybe in a, a raised voice, and you think you're stopped right in the middle of screaming and think, oh my gosh, that was my mom that just said that. You ever think that? Or that was my dad. My dad used to say that exact same thing. That's, we, that's because... We become what was modeled for us, right? And so consequently, we reproduce what we model, right? So I remember one time coming home from work, and um, my daughter Audrey was a fairly newborn, probably less than one, so Grace was probably about three years old, and she was playing house with some of her stuffed animals. And she had all these stuffed animals, and she, they were doing some things, probably doing chores and doing things like that, and she stopped right in the middle of playing, and she said, "'These kids are driving me crazy!' And I thought, I wonder where she saw that on TV or (laughs) where she learned that. We reproduce what we model, right? I mean, think about this. Did you know the overwhelming majority of young smokers come from a home where one or both parents smoked? That's what was modeled for them. Many of our young people who abuse alcohol or drugs come from families where that was modeled, intentionally or unintentionally. That's what was modeled. Did you know that many girls who grew up to be women in abusive relationships grew up in in homes where they were abused as a child? And that's what was modeled for them, and that's what they're used to. And we reproduce what we model. But we also see the effects of positive modeling. We, We all know families or see families where the adult children love each other and call each other all the time and stay in each other's lives. And we think, why? Why can they do that? And we can't do that. Well, because that's what was modeled for them. And we reproduce what we model. Any country music fans in the room? A couple of you, you remember that song a couple years ago, Rodney Atkins had a song. He said, I've been watching you, dad. Now ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. You know that song, right? It's the truth. We reproduce what we model. Your goal as a parent is to train a child in the way they should go. And the promise is when they're old, they won't depart from it. So you may never say this and you may never even think this, okay? But for some of you, You're living your life. Your life is saying that your most important goal as a parent is for your child to get good grades. I mean, you would never say that. You would never admit that. You might never think that. But the way that your life is driving is towards your kid getting good grades. That's what's important to you. Or maybe your life is saying that the most important goal for your kids is to be good in sports. That you want them to be great at baseball or be great at basketball or or be great in track and field or make the travel team or whatever it is. And you would never say that. You would never admit that that's the goal, but that's what your life is saying. Maybe your parenting goal, you would never admit this. You would never even think it, but maybe your parenting goal is you want to be best friends with your kid. 
Now, you, again, you're doing whatever you can to avoid conflict with them. Maybe day after day, you have this argument about, with your daughter about what she's going to wear to school. Or day after day, you have this argument with your son about what he's doing after school and where he's going. And you're ready to give up because the conflict is wearing down on you and it's wearing on your kids and you can feel that and you think it just might be easier and there just might be some peace if I would just stop arguing and become friends with my daughter or friends with my son. I just want to encourage you with something. I had a friend who had a daughter that was going through a pretty difficult time. He had two daughters, actually. Uh, great family. Both of his girls raised in the church. The older daughter had moved out. The younger daughter, um, he, he desperately wanted his kids to know Jesus, but this younger daughter was not on a good path. She was doing some things that, that uh, were not in line with his faith or, or really with what she was taught. And he told me this one time. He said, the proverb says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He said, it doesn't say that when he's young, he won't depart from it. And the promise in this verse, it's a promise of returning. It's saying that, that if you train a child, that you can lead them and correct them. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, like you've done everything you can, but your teen or your 20-something is on the wrong path. I just want to encourage you with that promise today that when they're old, if you've taught them the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. Every child is going to rebel. Now, that rebellion takes all kinds of different forms. It looks different for everybody. But your goal as a parent is to teach them, to correct them, to bring them back to the right path. Because here's the truth. And if you have older kids, I think you'll back me up on this, all right? There's going to come a time in every kid's life where the parent has to decide, do I want them to like me now or do I want them to like me later, right? Because if you're best friends with your preteen or your teen, you're probably making some choices that maybe aren't the best for them in the long run. But if you're trying to keep them on the straight path, uh, they're going to be running into you sometimes. There's going to be some conflict. They're not going to like you all the time. So if you find yourself managing this tension, can I just encourage you that you are a good parent? And, And here's how I know that, because bad parents don't feel that tension. They just give up. They run away from it. So when you're tempted to do that, just ask this question. Do I want them to like me now? Or I do I want them to like me later? And when you find yourself asking that question, let me help you with the answer, okay? If you're having to pick, do I want my kids to like me now or do I want them to like me later? Always choose later. Here's why. Later is longer. Right? If they like you now, that's good. I mean, it's immediate. It's now. It's in the moment. You feel good about it. It's like when you eat a big bowl of ice cream, right? I feel good about it. But later is longer. Later is their entire life. Later is when they have kids of their own. And if you make the right decisions now and teach them the right ways now, they will thank you later. And later is longer. I know some of you in the room are sports fans and may have seen this, but this week, uh, Kevin Durant was named the NBA's most valuable player from the Oklahoma Oklahoma City Thunder. First time for him, uh, first time for that team, and in his uh, acceptance speech for that award, he gave a very gracious acceptance speech where he, he first thanked God, and then he thanked um, each and every one of his teammates and coaches by name and gave examples of what they'd done to help him. And then at about 20 minutes into his speech, um, he thanked his mom. Take a look at this. I don't think you know what you did. had my brother when you were 18 years old. Three years later, I came out. We 
we were stacked, the odds were stacked against us. Single parent with two boys by the time you were 21 years old. Everybody told us we weren't supposed to be here. We moved from apartment to apartment by ourselves. One of the best memories I had is when we moved into our, our first apartment. No, no bed, no furniture, and we just all sat in, in the living room and just hugged each other. Because we, that's what we, we thought we made it. And when, when something good happens to you, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to look back to what brought me here. Waking me up in the middle of the night in the summer times, making me run up a hill, making me do push-ups, screaming at me from the sideline of my games at eight or nine years old. We wasn't supposed to be here. You made us believe. You kept us off the street. You put clothes on our backs, food on the table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. You the real MVP. The hard decisions we make as parents now will pay off later. And later is longer. Right? Teach your children how they should live and they will remember it all their life. That's true no matter what you believe. Christian or non-Christian, no matter where you stand with God, I hope that that's helpful for you. But if you're a Christian, there's something else. All right, there's an even greater goal. If you're not a Christian yet, if you don't believe in God, um, that's fine. You know That last part's for you. This part's not for you. Uh, but Christians, listen up, because we have a higher calling. It comes from a man named Moses. Now, here's what you might find interesting about Moses. Uh, Moses was married and had a family, but he was far from perfect. Uh, you could say that his job demanded a lot of him, okay? His family was always being relocated. Now, he had a lot of chaos in his life. But did you know the most important trait that we see in Moses is? The most important thing we see in the life of Moses is that, well, he trusted God, that his faith was in God. He looked to God over and over again for, for, for guidance, and even in the challenges of life, we see the strength of God working in Moses over and over again. Now, you might be surprised to know that Moses offers some great advice for parents in Deuteronomy 6. He's speaking to a large group of people in this chapter, uh, a large group of people made up uh, of moms and dads. And look at what he says, Deuteronomy 6, starting with verse 1. He says, these are all the laws that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Now, chapter 5, right before this, is all about the Ten Commandments. All right, and so he's talking about those laws, but he says, these are the laws that God commanded me to teach you. Obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. So God has his people on the move. They're going to this place where they're going to occupy. They're going to enter this land. God is not taking them out of the world, but he's putting them into the world, and he wants to make sure they're prepared with all these commands when they go into the world. Uh, verse 2, as long as you live, you and your descendants are to honor the Lord your God and obey all his laws that I'm giving you so that, they will, that you may live long time in that land 
or you may live in that land a long time. Listen to them, people of Israel, and obey them. Then all will go well with you, and you will become a mighty nation and live in that rich and fertile land, just as the Lord, the God of our ancestors, has promised. Now watch this. Israel, remember this. The Lord and the Lord alone is our God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. There's the command. Never forget these commands that I am giving you today. Teach them to your children. Repeat them when you are at home and when you are away and when you are resting and when you are working. Tie them on your arms. WWJD, right? Tie them on your arms and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. What is the most important goal as parents, the most important goal that we set for our children? Well, it's in your notes. If you are a Christian, as a parent, your most important goal is to raise your kids to love the Lord. The most important thing you do is to teach your children to love the Lord. Moses says, parents, teach your children to love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength. That means praying for them and helping them to make a decision to trust Jesus with their life and for forgiveness of sin. It's showing them the importance of a relationship with Jesus. I mean, you've got to model that for them as they grow and love God, helping them become more loving and gracious and more courageous and working hard at all they do. It's teaching them to become compassionate and kind towards others. As they love the Lord, as you teach them to love the Lord, we see them become a person who other people look at and say, you know what, I want to be like that. I want my son or daughter to marry someone like that. There are so many things you want for your kids. But the most important goal is to teach your children the way they should go. And if you're a Christian, that way is to love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength. Now, how do they do that? Well, if you've been around Genesis any length of time, or if you came to intro to Genesis last week, uh, you may know that we talk a lot about the three C's. Uh, The three C's are three experiences that are critical to helping people find their way back to God. You know, at Genesis, we don't have church membership. And so we say that anybody who is growing in their relationship with Christ should be growing in the three C's. And these three C's are celebrate, connect, and contribute. And so we've come up with a new path. This is a, a, a great path for teaching your kids Uh, to love the Lord. And and it's this. Number one, teach your children to celebrate. You know, celebrating is all about growing in our relationship with Jesus. And one of the ways we celebrate our relationship is through weekly worship. It's through coming here. It's setting aside at least one day a week, uh, like today, when we come together as a family and we worship. We remember. We celebrate what God is doing in our lives. You know, we celebrate with other people. We sing and share what God has done for us in Jesus. This is so important. It was, it was even important for Jesus, who in Luke 4.16 said this. He said, he said, it said that he went to the temple, to the, to the worship gathering, as was his custom. In Luke 4.16, it's lined out for us that Jesus made it a custom of going to worship. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to be in weekly worship, how much more important for us who are imperfect? But it's more than Sundays. You know, if you were here last week and you heard Cameron talk about that, not only do we want to teach our kids about the importance of Sundays, but... One of the great places I think that a lot of us get church wrong is we limit it to Sundays. And loving the Lord is so much more than Sundays. It's about a relationship, an ongoing relationship with Jesus. We can't do this on Sundays. I mean, look, if you came every week to church, and most of you don't, um, we'd have 50 to 60 hours a year with your child. You have about 2,000 waking hours. That's why it needs to be your goal as a parent to teach them to celebrate. I mean, one of the ways we encourage uh, a relationship with Jesus is by teaching your children about the importance of God's word. And so uh, teach them scripture. 
You know, you talk about what you learned at church. So many times, uh, most of the time, what we talk about in this room on Sunday morning is the same thing that your kid, uh, your child talks about in Gen Kids. Uh, that's not true. These three weeks, we're not doing a parenting series in Gen Kids. We're not teaching kids how to be parents. But you can always pick up this. Uh, you may have seen these laying on the Gen Kids uh, registration counter back here. If you've got a child in Gen Kids, you're welcome to take one of these. Um, it looks just like our worship program, but instead, it is uh, with the lessons that the, ch- the kids are going to learn this week or this month. And so, in here, there's a panel for every week of the month, and it talks about what their key scripture is and what the children are going to learn. Now, um, obviously, the way they learn it is going to be a little different by age group, um, but this is true for every class that we have. So you can pick one of these up, and you can talk about the scripture that, that was talked about in there and ask them what they learned about it. And so that's what we did these. We want to partner with you in helping to teach your kids to love the Lord. Uh, talk to them about scripture. Talk to them about what you've read in your personal uh, reading time. Now, that means you have to have a personal reading time if you're going to do that, okay? But that's important uh, In fact, one of the best gifts that you can give your children is to let them see you reading the Bible and how important that is in your life. Let them see you praying and how important that is in your life. You know, uh, you can read the Bible together and talk about it at an age-appropriate level. Uh, Let them hear what God has done for us in Jesus. Let them even see the rough stories, the stories of sin, and talk about at an age-appropriate level what that meant for that person, but then let them see the redemption that results of that. Uh, One of the favorite books that we ever read to our kids uh, when they were little was this. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you have little kids and you've not read this, you need to pick it up because it is the, I think, it's the best, uh, that's a big statement, but I think it's the best Bible for kids because every story, it's got some of the stories that you and I have read if you grew up in Sunday school, even from the Old Testament, but every story points to Jesus. And my wife and I would find ourselves reading this in bed to our, our, our kids at night, and we would just end up in tears over the way that they put the story together and pointed uh, to Jesus. And so you can teach your kids to celebrate, encouraging them to love the Lord by teaching them to pray. Uh, praying makes all the difference. And teach your kids to pray now because prayer works in our heart and helps put our dependence on God. And we teach our kids to pray for their needs. And that was where we start because kids understand that. They get that. You know, if I need something, I can pray for it. Uh, we pray together as a family when we eat. We, we pray at bedtime. Uh, we pray sometimes when we're on vacation, when we're traveling, or when things come up. You know, it's, a friend calls us, says we need prayer. We'll sometimes pray as a family. Uh, we celebrate together when God answers prayer. We wrestle through questions when God doesn't answer prayer or, or is delayed in answering his prayer. And so for your kids, you've got to teach them to celebrate, teach them to worship, teach them scripture, help them experience the power of prayer in their life. It's so important for your kids to see you celebrating Jesus in your life. Uh, number two is this, teach your children to connect. Uh, celebrate, connect. Healthy relationships can play a big part in your kid's life and their relationship with Jesus. Uh, my kids have made some of their best, most lasting friendships right here at Genesis Church and through our Gen Kids ministry. I'm so excited with what Danielle and um, Brittany at our Noblesville campus and what they're doing to help children grow in their love for the Lord. If your child's not a part of our Gen Kids ministry, you're missing out, uh, and they're missing out on some great opportunities for relationships. In fact, I want to tell you about something we started just last week. We have a lot of you um, that want to attend one service and serve one, but you're worried about your kids being in uh, Gen Kids for two services and hearing the same lesson over and over again, and, and you don't want them to get burned out on church. And we have, believe me, as a, as a person with two kids that end up back there all the time, I understand that. And so we started something just last week called Overtime. And what we're doing is we're taking kids who um, have to go, if they're old enough to 
to get out and play. We're taking kids who have to sit through two services, and for the second service, we're putting them all together in a group, and we've got some structured, organized, uh, taught playtime, teaching playtime, uh, where they're able to get connections with another group of kids, and they don't sit through the same lesson the second time, but they get to get out and do something fun and get to connect with other kids. It's a really cool program. It's called Overtime. It happens during this service, and uh, man, if there's somebody that's passionate about that, we'd love to talk to you more about that and how you can get involved uh, with Overtime. So, at the same time, I love what's happening with our student ministry, and many of our young people are experiencing new connections in student ministry. Our middle school students typically meet on Sunday nights, usually at the Noblesville campus in an event called Collide. They're not meeting tonight, by the way. Uh, moms, that's our gift to you. You get to have your kids at home on Sunday night. I hope you'll see that as a gift. Uh, most of you will, I know. Uh, our high school students meet on Wednesday night at the gathering, and again, that's usually at our Noblesville campus, um, but there's some great community coming together around our students. In fact, this was just so cool. Last Sunday uh, was our last Sunday night service at the Noblesville campus for the summer. Um, they're taking a hiatus for the summer, but last Sunday night, we had baptisms there, just like we did here, and... Uh, we had an eight-year-old girl that was baptized, and so the kids uh, stayed in the room where they usually come and, and worship with us at the beginning, and then the middle schoolers knew there was baptism, so they came to the room. Well, one of the middle school students, a boy by the name of J.D., saw this eight-year-old girl get baptized, and uh, he went to his class, and then he decided, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to be baptized. And so his parents weren't there. His mom had dropped him off for the, for the uh, middle school group, and so when his mom got there, he came out to the car and said, Mom, I want to be baptized. And she said, uh, okay, that's great. I'll call your dad. And so she called dad, and dad wasn't close enough to come. But he goes, you know what? We've been praying for this. Just go and let him get baptized and enjoy it. And so um, all the adults had left, almost all the adults, but the pastors were there. And, uh, and all of the middle school kids stayed around to watch their friend, J.D., get baptized. And when he came up out of the water, I mean, they just went crazy with applause and just encouraging their friend that they made connections with through this youth group. Um, and in his baptism. So uh, they have the opportunity now to be in his life for a long time. Parents, the goal is to teach your children to love the Lord, and that responsibility is on you. And we want to be there to partner with you, but you have the most important part to play. But you don't have to do this alone. You shouldn't do this alone. Your children and teens shouldn't do this alone. Help them find healthy relationships within their community uh, with new friends uh, who also love the Lord. Get them connected with others. It's one of the most beautiful things about this thing we call the church. And finally... Uh, so we teach our kids to celebrate. We teach them to connect. Finally, we want to teach them to contribute. You know, your child is a gift from God. Uh, before God even created your son or daughter, he had a purpose in mind for them. And he has in mind for your child to make an, a unique contribution. He's given uh, him or her unique gifts and talents and abilities and passions and skills. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so teach your children how God made them. Teach them that they have a unique part to play. Teach your children to serve. And again, it's not enough for you to talk to them about that. You need to model that for them. Jesus even said that he himself, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. But contribute is more than just giving your time and talents, although that's important. It's about giving financially as well. I believe one of the best things that you can do to raise children who are not mastered by money as an adult is to teach them to give generously at a young age. And so if you want to teach your children to love the Lord, you've got to teach them about generosity. Teach them how everything that we have comes from God. Uh, teach them what it looks like to give back and to share with others. And again, it's not enough to tell them that. You have to model that for them. So I shared this with many of you in January, but um, we started something new this year. 
uh, because we wanted to teach our kids to be generous. And so we started a giving jar. It's called a giving jar. And so um, every time I get paid, I take 1% of my income and put it into a jar that stays in the pantry in our house. If you're ever going to rob my house, that's where you go. Okay, go to the giving jar. I don't know why I just told you where it was, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not relevant to the story. We have a jar that we put money in, and our whole family decides where that goes. Now, that's not money that goes to the church, although we we give to the church. It's not money that goes to other ministries, although we give to those. But that is money that's set aside for friends and family members who run into hard times. And so if we hear of somebody who has an extremely high electric bill, or we hear about somebody who has a problem with their car or needs a new lawnmower, Uh, Our family will sit around the dinner table at night and we will meet and we'll talk about maybe who we can give some of that money to. And so our family has a role to play. I want our kids to have a say in our finances. I want them to see the difference their money can make in the world. I want them to grow up to be generous people with their time and with their money. So as Christ followers, our most important goal is teach your children to love the Lord. If you want to raise your kids to love the Lord, you've got to guide them. You've got to teach them with the help of the three C's. You've got to teach them to worship and to read the Bible and pray. But before we close, I want to challenge you with one other thing. These are all extremely important, but, you know, as we've already talked about, one of the things that you need to do is you need to model this for your kids as well. It's not enough to talk to them about it. You've got to model it. So ask yourself, am I celebrating? Am I connecting? Am I contributing? Are you growing in your love for God, and can they see it? And finally, my wife and I talked about this this week, and I think the most important thing that you can do is to pray for your kids. You know, we're going to mess up. As a parent, I make mistakes every day. I'm not sure if I've made one yet today, but I promise I will. Uh, I can't get this right on my own, but there is someone who can help. So pray. Make it a habit to pray for your kids. Pray, pray for them. Pray with them. Pray over them. Ask the Lord to show you how to raise them to love him. And so that's kind of how I want to close today as, as uh, we get ready to go. I just want to pray with you. Uh, and for you, because I can look back in, on my life, and, and my life as a parent now over 12 years, and I can see the prayers that I've prayed for my kids and how God has been so good and so faithful in honoring those. And so I want to give you that gift today. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you just stand with me? And I want to pray with you and pray over you um, as parents and even as non-parents. And so let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I just uh, I thank you for each and every parent in this room and the incredibly important role they play in the lives of their kids and their kids' friends. And I just pray that uh, they would see the value in teaching their children the way they should go. And God, for the Christian parents in this, in this room, I just pray that they would see the value of teaching them to love you and to follow you and to celebrate and connect and contribute with you. And Lord, I pray for the, the grandparents and the aunts and uncles and the ones who don't have little kids that are at home but maybe have a chance to have some influence on their friends' kids or their neighbors' kids. I pray that you would help them to uh, be an influence, a positive influence in the lives of those kids. Would you encourage them in that? God, I pray for those in this room that want to be parents, that are desperate to have that influence in their lives, that are desperate to have kids of their own. I, I pray for those that have lost a child. It shouldn't happen to any of us, Lord. I pray for those uh, who have strained relationships with their, their mom, their parents, or their kids. Lord, would you encourage them this week and today, and even as they see things that we don't understand that are really painful for the people in those categories, would you help them to know that you're all they need? God, most of all, I just pray that I confess that we can't do this on our own, that we need you to guide us and to help us be the parents that that our kids need us to be. And so would you give it to that? In Jesus' name, amen.